Hello, everyone. Welcome to Zun and Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, this is a podcast exploring the connections between anime and Canadian media. Uh, but today we're doing a sort of an off-topic holiday Christmas episode. Uh, I've usually done one one of these a year. I think I've, I missed last year. Taking a little bit of a, a break from that. But we're back, and I have two returning guests joining me to uh, to, to just sort of chat in this uh, laid-back holiday celebration so we have hazel and bell uh hazel can you uh introduce yourself hi this is hazel i'm the artist uh of always raining here and electric bones and uh and bell hi i'm bell um i'm a writer and my a thing that i'm most well known for is always raining here and electric bones yeah and those are those are the two web comics that you two have been working on for I mean, over over a decade at this point. Uh, we had you had both of you on a couple of years ago, and I'm glad to have you back. It's good to be back. Thanks for, Thank you for yeah. having us back again. Yeah. So y- you two, over the last uh, year or so, you've been a lot of exciting updates on on your projects. Uh, so always raining here. The the web comic you two started collaborating on back with 2011, 20, 2010, 2011. Uh, yeah, I think it, was. it was February 2011. It, yes. Uh, and you have a. It, it's been the comic's been done for a while, but uh, you had a, a big announcement about that this year. Yes, oh, yeah. so we were picked up by First Second to publish the entire series of Always Raining Here, and which also includes redraws of the first volume. So there, that's been what I've been doing for the past year or so is redrawing old art that I drew over ten years ago. And it's been a ride. I'll just say that. How how, how extensive are the redraws going to be on that? 80 pages? 80 Over pages, 80 pages wow. are redrawn completely. Like, entire, entirety of the first volume. Um, initially, they didn't actually request that much to be redrawn, but in the end, it just ended up happening. <laughs> it, it just was looked weird to only redraw like the very first part of it. To, like, sync up art yeah. styles, so I just thought it would be better if just the whole first volume was redrawn, and then yeah. the second volume is still the same. So it's kind of like avoiding a Devil Man comic kind of situation where you have, like, <laughs> wild contrast between how the first volume, or the, the, the first few volumes looked, and and how the, the later art that was added later uh, goes in, so it's I... more more consistent... I think that's what they're aiming for. I'm yeah. not sure if they're gonna get that. They're gonna get something that's clean, cleaner... Um, and more consistent, like for a new like reader. And how how did you find going back to your old art? Like, do you do you think that uh, was it kind of kind of tough trying to bring it all in line, uh, or I don't, I don't know what what are, what are your thoughts on that process? The hardest part was just emotionally revisiting it. <laughs> like yeah. the drawings themselves are not that hard, and I've improved a lot. It, it's mostly I'm reliving the struggle that I did the first time that I drew this. So it was really, Mm -hmm. really hard for me to draw the first time. It was like the first comic I ever made. And I just like, I come to a panel, I'm like, oh my God, I had to like trace my old art to draw this panel the first time. Like I couldn't even put the characters' faces together properly. Mm -hmm. Like it was hard to draw two people next to each other, like at the same size originally. And now it just like comes naturally. So I feel like that was the hardest part was just like the emotional baggage of the first version. And now mm-hmm. when I look at it, I look at the new version and I'm like, 
oh, that's how it always looked. <laughs> I like <laughs> I to your memory. Yeah, because I've been looking at it for a year and I'm like really familiar with the new drawings now and I think they look nice. But I could understand if people are still attached to the old version too. Like I think both versions have their merits. Like the the first version is so earnest. Like it's so full of like my feelings, whereas this version is like clean. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. Okay. I would say it's more than clean, actually. I think that it's uh, the characters are are doing more. There's like they feel more alive in the new version because you're better mm -hmm. at communicating expressions and things like character poses. And I feel like there's more creativity coming out too, and, and like little things are adding to the background, yeah, and stuff like that. So. You've definitely, like, all the, basically that you've learned for over the past 10 years making comics is kind of coming out in your first piece again. And I think that's, like, it's really, it's really special to look at. <laughs> totally. I think both versions are good. I think this one is hopefully better than the first version, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's, like, little scenes where I remember the first time that I was drawing, like, for example, Carter's room. I wanted to put, like, posters and stuff in there, but I just got too tired, like, of drawing back then and I didn't want to put anything in there so I didn't put any of these like little details to like make the characters more lifelike but this time around I did so those are just some things so actually let's take a step back here always raining here what what is it about what is how would you you describe this 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 comic so always raining here um it was kind of like it's supposed to be like a high school slice of life comic it's about two guys who are gay teenagers in high school and they end up fall, falling in love together but it, it's not really like I, I'm describing it like that because it's like it's a high school slice of life comic you've read this before but it, it's a bit there's something there's something going on there that's that's not super typical <laughs> it's set in Vancouver yes it's set in Vancouver um, all the locations are based off of locations that uh, we've been to or went to or seen like their high school and stuff was my old high school. It's actually a mix of my old high school and Hazel's old high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> and a lot of the characters and the character situations and stuff like that are all coming from this time period in my life where I was like a teenager. And there's a lot of inspiration taken from just like being a teenager that's put into this comic. So that was our first project. And as you can understand, being our first project and being about high school to us, it is like this time capsule um, in a way. So that's, it's, it's very dear to us, but it's also something that we're like, we spent so long in that we kind of were like, we want to look towards uh, doing other projects in the future. And we finally got a chance to do that over the past couple of years. We got a chance to work on a new comic called Electric Bones. So I yeah. think I'm going into too much more detail now. Yeah, but that's a nice wait, segue. Wait, I had something, <laughs> I have something to say about the, the comment of, about Always Raining Here. Back to the redraws. Um, that idea of it being over 10 years old is something that we're also trying to emphasize in the redraws or like rewrites. It, there's a little bit of stuff that's rewritten too, but the idea that this is a story that was set over 10 years ago, like it was set, we're, we're making it set in 2011 now because the world is not the same right now compared to 2011, like lots of stuff has changed. So we're just, we're setting it in that time period and... I feel like it'll feel like it's from that time period too. So it's it's like a, a period piece now. <laughs> Whereas when it was written, it was more like, oh, this is how it is right now. It so sounds like it's kind it of, sounds like you're almost yeah. adapting it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's become it's good to be aware. Become an adaptation. 
Like, we have to be yeah. aware that this is going to be something that was originally written in 2011 that is being released in 2020, after 2024, right? So those are going to be new readers. So they're going to interpret it differently than someone else who read it, like, 10 years ago. People who read it might not have been born in 2011. So is there, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And is there, like, w would you say that this has been enhanced with, like, uh, like a sense of nostalgia that wasn't there before? Well, yeah. it would always be nostalgic for us because yeah. the comic itself, it has, it's just like, you look at the pages and you remember where you were when those pages are being made. Or you remember what thoughts you had when you wrote these lines. Like, you remember those little things. It's a very emotional thing for us to look at. Mm -hmm. But um, Yeah, I, I don't think the remake is going to be too nostalgic because it's not too... It'll just feel being, nostalgic to read. <laughs> we're not being like overly throwbacky. It's more like we just are explicitly putting the year there, so they know that this is not something that's supposed to be yeah. representative to years of twenty twenty because they're completely different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's not like this is being adapted into like a movie or animated series that retroactively becomes a period piece. It's still, no. it, it's still very much contained within the original intent of the work, but just but maybe yeah. being a little more than touched up. Yeah. Yeah. Adding adding some things from the era in a little bit is kind of what we were doing. Yeah, because you have that, uh, that hindsight now, and yeah. you understand what it was like living in 2011 better than when you actually were living in 2011. Like, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> it didn't mean anything then. It means a lot now, though. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. this like retrospective and you can sort of see things really clearly. You can see what was significant, what wasn't significant, and you can see what stood the test of time, what didn't. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the, the comic already has gained a lot of notoriety uh, even before you got the publication deal. And I, I think the, the actual commercial release is coming out in 2025. Was it still a, still a couple years away? We're still aiming for that date. Yeah. 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 But you, you've gotten a lot of... Um, you know, exposure in, I think, libraries and, and bookstores locally. And, like, what 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 has been the response? I know it's been viewed as, like, a really... has has a lot of positive queer representation or a good example of that. Um, and just what, 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 is, what have you found the response to be outside of its original context as a, just a webcomic? Uh, <laughs> I think I could not have anticipated the positive impact I had on people when I sat down to write that thing. <laughs> like the, the, Back. over the, yeah. Like over the years we have gotten people who have like, this is something that they've said. And I don't necessarily 100% like think that we're responsible for this, but I, I think they, they, they owe themselves more than just us, but people have said that the comic has helped them with their sexuality. It has helped mm -hmm. them, in their when they have depression or something like that it's it's helped them in really dark times because they have this like this work that we made that sort of gave them a feeling of being seen or gave them like this this thing to look forward to and i think that feels really special because like when you make something you're just making it in your like your hovel with your friend and you're not really thinking about like five years from now a teenager is going to read this and feel like life isn't that bad actually <laughs> which is yeah really you're telling it it was a story you were telling for yourself this is a story mm -hmm. you wanted to tell it for yourself and the fact that other people enjoyed it and saw and were able to like yeah that is really nice to hear 
always. It's always nice to hear, like, then and now. Like It's humbling. Yeah. It makes you, it, it makes you kind of just, like, the, the power that art has on people, you underestimate mm-hmm. when you make it yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's not something, yeah. it's not something you can really aim for in the creative process, or at least, no. if you, at least non-cynically. Uh, but it's something you have, kind of have to see happen organically. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm going to see that happen again. Like, I think ARH is just like that. But it's 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 so it was made earnestly and it was made within a certain time frame and stuff and I think that I I I, I don't think that our, my future works are gonna have that kind of connection with people they might but I think it was very special. The like yeah. down to earth connection because your mm-hmm. other things you want to make are more like lofty than that I would say. Yeah. <laughs> or like the the stories are different. And spanning across both your comics, I wanted to know a little more about your collaborative process uh, in terms of, you know, as the writer and the uh, the comic artist. And there's not there's not a there's no there's no definitive way uh, of how you do this. Uh, but like, what what has been your journey? How did you how did you meet? How did you two meet? <laughs> how, how did we meet, Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> how did we meet? You know how we I feel like I feel like Jesse might have been there. <laughs> I you don't have to answer that question. Um yes, I wasn't. <laughs> uh no, like going going back to like the beginning of the comic, how did how did you first grapple the idea of collaborating um on the comic and how has that evolved over over ARH and then moving into Electric Bones in your second project? So the collaborative process started from, like, a feeling of boredom, I would say. Like, we were bored. That's what's, that's what kicked it off. Well, well, we when we first started making comics, I think that I didn't even know how to properly make a script. Like, I was, like, do I write it out like prose? Uh, and then, like, telling, like, I didn't know how much I needed to tell uh, Hazel in regards to, like, what to make for the art. Like, like I, I was giving descriptions that she didn't fully understand. And it was just, like, a lot of frustration, a mm-hmm. lot, she would end up drawing something that I'd be like, oh, this didn't fit my original vision. Uh, so we went back and forth so many times on it, on what this was yeah. like, or what, what our, how we communicated. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, tense, bad moments, but in the end, I think we got a pretty good uh, way of doing this, where we have, we have this format of the script and the descriptions, so the two things are separate and they're very clear for each panel. We understand how many panels even exist on a page. Like, I wasn't even sure, like, I was writing, like, seven panels per page, eight panels per page, nine panels per page for ARH. And Hazel had to be like, no, you have a maximum of five. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there was just, you learn so much when you're doing this, especially when you're just jumping right into it, so... Um, now it's just completely streamlined for electric phones. We know exactly how much we can allot for each page. We know, uh, how to communicate with each other. We like to sit down in the thumbnail stage and draw, like, I'll give her thumbnails that I kind of have ideas on and she'll draw Mm -hmm. her own thumbnails and we'll like talk about the thumbnails together. That's a new process. So we will, yeah, we'll go over the, the, the stuff that needs ironing out in the thumbnail stage as opposed Mm -hmm. to the. The fully Sketches. done art stage, yeah. like that I have spent hours on, and then I'm, and then Bella's like redraw that, and I'm like, please no. These both of these comics are released more or less page by page, but that's not how you 
actually develop the comic. You're you're you have a larger scope behind the scenes, I would imagine. S- sometimes it is. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> for, no, for in all cases, there is um, a longer script. Yes, that but the page. But sometimes different. it might get edited up until the last minute. And <laughs> or about, rewritten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, can you tell us about your uh, your more current comic, Electric Bones? You've made the shift from a like slice of life romance to a. Uh, very uh, richly developed uh, cyberpunk uh, sci-fi setting. Yeah, so Electric Bones is a story about this guy who, um, he's, a, he's a rich asshole who gets fired from his job because of a, a robot on the space station that he works with gets him fired. And he is annoyed and depressed and ends up on this like fancy cruise ship with his friend who's like, this is it's like a it's like a business um cruise type thing where they're going to network with people and they're going to find a contract for their uh a conference uh, yeah it's a conference (laughs) sorry yeah Uh, (laughs) they're they're gonna find a contract for their startup at this conference with this big company and they have these like ambitions and stuff and then um our sleazy asshole main character runs into a robot who looks exactly like the robot who got him fired from his from his dream job and the story is kind of just like this unfolding tension between these two characters as they're trying to figure out like how did this robot end up at this cruise ship and the main character kind of trying to figure out like how how that involves him in a way and it's not set in more soon (laughs) and it's not set in vancouver but uh the vancouver landmarks still find their way into uh (laughs) into certain certain areas of the story i noticed yeah yeah we well i mean the worst part about world building is coming up with names for things, so it's really easy to just, like, the company is named after, like, the one of the local villages. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> Nobody knows what Valkyra is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, yeah, it's good to pull like, from. Mm-hmm. Or just, the like, we're is... keeping the West Coast aesthetic in, the, in space. Mm-hmm. For better or worse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very uh, l- lots of um, again tech startup, uh, tech broy <laughs> ki- kind of uh, elements going into there. So yeah, very West Coast in a lot of ways. I I, I feel like Air H was kind of like um, me, kind of looking at people or, or specifically men around me in high school, and I was mm-hmm. kind of trying to write this story about the guys in high school that I was friends with, that were kind of like the the. There's a certain type of guy that, in high school, that was more like the Carter type, who's kind of pushy, who's kind of, like, I was just trying to make a character like that, because I was inspired by the people that I was around, and Lucian, in Electric Bones, is kind of like the... The, t- the 20-something the version? I, I did, I've been to a, quite a few um, conferences and stuff. I was working as a personal assistant. Mm-hmm. For somebody who is uh, associated with Microsoft, so I got to see these people face to face. Yeah, yeah. There's de- <laughs> definitely firsthand experience baked right into that. I, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure there are like modified quotes that you're <laughs> that you're that you're working from. Uh, somehow, very clearly. Somehow, I feel like the relevance of the tech startup like narrative, like this was originally written in like th- 2018. Mm-hmm. Like it just becomes more and more relevant. And like the stuff about the co- like the the Bitcoin or whatever joke in there is like <laughs> it became worse 
like yeah. more relevant to like people and they're like oh how did you predict like a story about like ai this is so like uh relevant and it was like i don't know <laughs> it's, not even, it's not even about ai it's not about artificial intelligence it's not a, even about like what it means to be like human or whatever really <laughs> those are all things people assume that it's what it means because that's like those are the cornerstones of cyberpunk but i did not want to write a story like that yeah. Well, the the one part I really liked from the first volume was the scene with uh, I know there there are many layers to this, but the, the scene of scene of uh, Lucien removing the bug from Ezra's brain. That that is. I was gonna I was gonna hope you said that because that was yeah. the best scene. Yeah, it's it's just so visceral and sinewy and just has this erotic body horror element that we need more of in sci-fi. And I thought Thank I thought you. that was uh, that was really impressive. Thank uh, you and, for yeah. appreciating that. We put, like, a lot of effort into that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I wanted to make a... I I don't know if I can say it here, but I'll just say it anyways, that each volume is going to have one of those moments in it. Oh, (laughs) No, you can say that. Yeah, you can say that. Like, you want to bring that that feeling into the other volumes as well. You don't want to peek in the first volume. No. Also, I think it was just kind of, like, horrifying and unexpected for people that it was like a fairly mundane maybe not mundane nothing about it was really mundane but you didn't get into the like the the goopy brain stuff at all until that part like it was mm-hmm. it was that, that's just my style of writing where everything is yeah. like going at a, a fairly uh, steady pace and then all of a sudden like something sudden and shocking happens <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank I'll- you bell yeah, I was going to ask you about your your what sci-fi influences you were drawing from, but just talk looking at um, AHR and Electric Bones, uh, but both of them, uh, like they're they're of course web comics, but like what what did you draw from in figuring out how to to format that? Were were you looking mainly at other web comics or like or manga or or other types of of comics? What what did you find that you you drew from the most, or what? Um, what what informed your 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 approach uh, to to them? You'd say. Um, ARH was definitely Japanese BL manga. Mm-hmm. We so you did ask how we met, which we we glossed over really quickly because because <laughs> Jesse was our anime club president, and I joined the anime club immediately upon joining university, and Hazel joined the next year because she's younger mm-hmm. than than me. And I was at the anime club table because Jesse said, you should go sit at the anime club table during club's day and get more girls in the club because we have a gender <laughs> divide. Yes. And, uh, this is I, a thing. I was, I was there to, to recruit girls to the anime club. And Hazel comes, up to the an- the, Hazel comes up to the club table and I say, you should join the anime club. She says, cool, whatever. I don't even know what you, remember what you said, but I think you were already planning on joining the anime club. And then uh, she comes to, like, the first meeting, or the second meeting, and we were kind I think of it was the first like, meeting. Chatting. Yeah, the first meeting. We were just chatting, and it was just, like, being polite and friendly and stuff. And then she posts. We had a forum back then. The Anime Club had a whole website and forum. She posts her favorite manga on the forum, and it's all this, like, super obscure, <laughs> but actually really high-quality BL manga. <laughs> but I had posted it before the meeting. So, Did like, you? at the okay. meeting, yeah, you said yeah, that yeah. someone had made this post. Yeah. So you go. You continue. No, I, you should. I, you have better memory than I do. Oh, oh um, 
Yeah, so I she she brings up like, oh yeah, someone posted like all their favorite like BL manga like in it. And it sound, it was good on the on the anime club forum, and I was like, oh, that was me. <laughs> and then I feel like immediately we had like a connection because you were complimenting my taste, and I was also crazy enough to post that in the first place. I don't remember what possessed me, but I guess it was a good decision. <laughs> and then we were friends after that. Yeah, and then I think about two years after that was when we started, like, Always Raining Here. Yeah, and all, all of that was the foundation of, yeah. uh, of, 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 of your whole approach to that from the ground up. That's, yeah, and there yeah. were some comics going on at that time where we were inspired by them, like Starfighter uh, was like a... And so we were like, oh, we can also make a comic. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a whole genre of BL comics back then, like like people make like putting web comics up, and they would use Smack Jeeves and their own websites and stuff. Like there was probably over twenty of them that we would like read or knew about or kept up with, and most of them have been completely forgotten about now. But um, they all so we were like we can do this too. So then we just did it. <laughs> we just started posting on the internet. And yeah, here we are. And making, so for Electric Bones, there was less uh, comic inspiration, I would say. There was more movie inspiration. Mm -hmm. Or just like sci-fi, consuming sci-fi for the past, like over 25 years, uh, like before the comic was, yeah. And we started planning uh, Electric Bones when we were working on Always Raining Here. Like the original characters, like Lucian was planned in 2013. Like, two years after we started ARH because we wanted to do something different. We knew we wanted to do sci-fi way back then. It just took a while to come around. <laughs> so, I would say the movie inspirations, there's, like, half of it is, like, genuine inspiration. Stuff like the... I, I'm going to say that the the bugs, the, the head, pulling the brains out of the head uh, scene in... The, in Electric Bones is partially inspired by The Matrix because that was mm -hmm. something that we watched in preparation for uh, Electric Bones was The Matrix. Um, I think I really liked it. I really liked The Matrix. I hadn't seen it until like a couple years ago. Um, we also watched uh, Blade Runner, which we, we both didn't actually like. <laughs> um, and that also influenced us because it was like we wanted to make like, there's so many beautiful things about Blade Runner, but there's also, like, the story itself, it just didn't sit with us. We just it, didn't... Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a poor adaptation of the original um, the original story, uh, mm -hmm. but, it, like, the it, it's more important for the, like, the impact that it's had yeah. and the way mm -hmm. it's... Uh, I mean, especially on anime. It's, like, one of the, one of the movies that's had the biggest influence on anime uh, and, mm -hmm. and and video games, too. Yeah. Did you ever see we Blade Runner uh, twenty forty nine the the sequel? No, it's it's actually it's actually a better movie. <laughs> yeah, good to know. There was a lot of stuff about we would watch these science fiction movies, and then there's there's kind of I think I've talked about this before. I'm not sure if I talked about it with you, Jesse, where um, a lot of the way that the future is communicated is through sexualizing women's bodies, and our response to that is. Why not make the sexy robot a man? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just like equal opportunity, uh, having sexy female and male robots in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel like just having that like brings it to the forefront of like this being an issue in like sci-fi. <laughs> it's like, oh, like, I don't know. I don't know if anyone feels uncomfortable when they read Electric Bones, but. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Another thing. I that hope we so. They was... should. You should make. Some people should, should be uncomfortable. You feel slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like I, I, you should feel entirely comfortable. I, I, even if you enjoy it, I think you should feel slightly uncomfortable. Because it's a, it's a yeah. unsettling story. Yeah. yeah there's there's nothing wrong get... with, with making people feel uncomfortable through art. People have forgotten this. This is... This is this yeah. Is, this is a problem with, 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 with Gen Z. You're uh, very we, we right. You're very right. <laughs> I, I really enjoy that feeling of, like, tension and, like, mm-hmm. oh, this gives me a, a gross feeling in my gut when I'm thinking this. I love yeah. that. It's great. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah, and when is, uh, I know that Electric Bones has been on hiatus for a bit. Uh, when, uh, mm-hmm. do you know when it's going to be back yet? We are thinking March. Um, we're going to aim for March. Okay. <laughs> um, we said that we were going to be back last March, but oh, we just said we were going to be back in March, and maybe it was 2023, maybe it was 2024, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. But we were uh, we're shipping Kickstarter orders for, so we had the Kickstarter for Volume 1, where we printed the book ourselves, like we self-published the whole thing. Nobody was involved except for us, I mean, except mm-hmm. for people who print, literally did the printing. Yeah. But yeah, that... We are like a publishing house now. We've yeah, and you multiple and books. I, you you did the Kickstarter, but you can buy you can buy the volume. Uh, yes, so you can, can buy yeah. it on our website, like electricbonescomic.com, or like yeah, Hazel Bell Shop or Always Reading Here website. You can buy it there. Them all on the same website. But um, uh, so we spent like three months doing shipping stuff. <laughs> sending things out to people it was like insane and we sent them all out ourselves <laughs> that that is a herculean task and i'm yeah uh, I, i'm was, impressed that you were able to, to to work through all that yourselves there was 800 of them yeah and this was like i i had two surgeries at this time too <laughs> yeah so yeah we were going back and forth between health issues and then like trying to get the kickstarter done and then somehow the whole year went away and then yeah the arh redraws that was our year so we've been kind of behind the scenes this whole year but we're aiming to come back in march um yeah that's the goal with electric bones act two uh and are there going to be any christmas chapters uh, of electric bones? <laughs> just Maybe for you good. jesse just for uh, you oh, okay thank you <laughs> I no, maybe. Fan art, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or not fan art. I know you enjoy a Christmas special. That's I always I enjoy a good Christmas special. I'm envisioning um, some like Santa outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing down electric bones. Maybe not this year. Maybe next year. Who like Christmas will come again? I hope. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, Belle, in addition to the comics, you also recently released your own visual novel. I did. Yeah, it's called Three Boys. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's a lot like the highly successful and acclaimed anime Seko Boys, but with with people instead of statue busts, right? I I have you played two visual novels, Jesse? 
About, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is exactly like that. It's a visual novel where you are, um, you play this girl who is a 20-something video editor who works at home and she has a cat and she works for an entertainment agency and they tell her one day, hey, you need to manage uh, the boy band at our agency uh, because they have a concert today and everyone's sick. So she has to pick up everybody, all the all the members of this boy band, drive them through the arena, make sure they don't kill each other, and each route kind of focuses on one of the boys. Um, it's like a repeating day format, mm-hmm. so I mean I'm kind of spoiling it, but really, <laughs> it, it's it is kind of baked into the pitch. So yes, yes, yeah. it's, it's like is. a Groundhog Day of the the day. It's a replay yeah. of the day. So yeah, yeah. You uh, you sort of uncover more about the boys and about the the band and about the story as you play each route, and there's a it, weird stuff happens. I, I still need to play the final version. I played like the demo with that didn't even have the art in it, and maybe I'll play on stream. Maybe I'll I'll stream while I play for the that once I'm done all of my duties. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I play through it. I like it a lot. It's uh it is it is short, but it, that kind of helps uh highlight uh the replayability of it. You'll uh, yeah, you can go through go through it a few times and and find all the different routes and take the different choices. Uh yeah, it's fun. I like it a lot. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you playing it. Yeah. And uh you're Good job, Bell. Yeah, and you're working on more visual novels in the future, I understand. Yeah, I am. I'm uh, actually coming up with concepts and stuff for one, our next one, which I think is going to be a bit more ambitious, <laughs> a bit more large scale. Uh, hopefully not too large scale, but uh, there's. I'm very excited about it. So that's, that's something I've been working on. Okay, great. Uh, so usually in these holiday episodes, I take a minute to sort of uh talk about stuff that's happened in the last year with anime but i don't know there's not too much to talk about did did you guys uh did you did you catch sailor moon while it was on crave no no it's gone now is that the old version <laughs> the old yeah the uh yeah. well the the old anime not the not the original dub that aired uh on right. on ytv cuz that's in a vault never to be seen again now but they had they had the new dub up for like three years, but unfortunately that uh, that contract lapsed, and now you can't watch it in Canada again. So that uh, that kind of sucks. Um, and I, who the problem with Sailor Moon is that it was like a Hulu exclusive in the states, and that has uh, really delayed it being available in Canada over the years, which kind of sucks because Sailor Moon is such a big deal in Canada. But yeah, uh, Hulu is apparently being destroyed in the U.S. now. They're they're actually folding it into Disney Plus like it is in every other country on earth so i don't know i think a lot of these uh these hulu ex- these situations where you can't watch something in canada because it's a hulu exclusive i think i think we're going to kind of see that kind of get resolved <laughs> over the next few years you think that they they're going to get bought up they are but they are they are bought up yeah disney on other yeah, yeah. dis yeah well that's the thing disney has oh they're gonna hulu. go on disney they're gonna go on disney well hulu has disney plus has absorbed hulu but with the way contracts work, uh, that doesn't guarantee that everything's instantly going to jump over there. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. you have to wait for things to get sorted out or for them to go back and and renew the rights. Um, so I get it now. yeah, Hulu's just been such a pain 
for for so many years, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if that works out. But then again, we're also shifting away from uh, from living in a world where you can reasonably expect everything to be available on a streaming service anyway. <laughs> with we, uh, yeah, we were on the cusp of finishing Cowboy Bebop on Netflix, yeah. and we didn't weren't able to finish it by the time it got it left. Yeah, they just yanked it. Uh, it is yeah. it is on uh, Tubi. You can still watch it there. And uh, yeah. if you got Crunchyroll, it's on Crunchyroll too. So it's not it's not unavailable, but <laughs> you know when it's not on if it's not on Netflix, people aren't gonna it's not gonna be as visible. People aren't gonna find it. Like if you put so, like there's so much stuff that is on YouTube, which is like the most access theoretically the most accessible place you can put a show. Like all of I think all of Revolutionary Girl Utena is on YouTube, but nobody knows because you don't go looking for shows on YouTube like that. Uh, and there's YouTube doesn't curate your ability to find shows. So when it gets removed from something like everyone uses, like Netflix, it, it's, uh, it's a problem. Or Crave. Like the, right. It's important to have it in, even if there are services you have to pay for, uh, it's just not, not ultimately uh, as good to have it on a, on, a less, on a more obscure service. Like having it on the, yeah. the higher profile service helps people, increases the discoverability. So it's always, uh, always disappointing to see that happen. Yeah. When you're putting anime on the anime only service, that yeah. I don't know. I feel like less people are going to join Crunchyroll exactly. just for that. That's that's a big problem, and <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Now that Crunchyroll has like become the basically become the monopoly service, there's like a, a couple small alternatives. But having a couple small alternatives doesn't make it any less of a mon monopoly. It just has has other people who are just like kind of covering the few things that Crunchyroll misses because no one company can get everything. Um, but in the States, they're doing all sorts of things to try and expose titles to people who are more casual viewers or people who are potential anime fans, and they're just not doing any of that in Canada. And it's it's uh, it's kind of frustrating because they're, they're limiting the market so much. And when you limit the market, there's, there's, there's less options for people who are fans too. So, right. um, yeah, it just shows that streaming's a giant scam. Uh, that that uh, uh, yeah, they not... just turned streaming into TV channels that you have to pay for. Exactly. I mean, at this point, I'm wishing that that TV kind of comes back. I think that would be better at this point. On-demand streaming is making on-demand streaming the main way we watch things is just uh, it was a mistake. We <laughs> shouldn't <laughs> have done that. The more uh, variety, the better for media. Yeah. Exactly. And people have weird ideas of how competition should work. It's just like, oh, we if we have more streaming services that are all competing with each other, that that means more choice and more competition. It's like, I don't know if this interpretive this interpretation of competition really should apply to streaming services this way. I think I think we have to find a different way of doing this. Um, yeah, it's all no, a big just... mess. Now I'm just thinking about the thing when you watch streaming, you're only getting fed stuff that you like or that you already like. It's like, oh, you like this, so you like that. But if yeah, it's exactly. on TV, it might be like, oh, I don't, I'm not necessarily into this genre, but I, it's on the TV, so I'll put it on. So people yeah. might get more exposure yeah. that way. Yeah, and on on this show, we talk a lot about how like services like like Pluto TV um, are tr trying to reinvent linear television broadcast it's just like why did you get rid of it to begin with if you're just <laughs> going to try to reinvent it on the internet it it seems kind of tough there is a sailor moon channel that's going to be coming to to um to pluto tv it's uh subtitled only but you know they'll there'll be a sailor moon option yet 
but still still kind of sucks that we lose that, that dub know. version on grave yeah yeah so that's 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 probably the more state I can of talk about right now. That's the state of things. I don't have I don't have much else to say. You still can't buy discotheque stuff in Canada. That's frustrating, but yeah. We have to get into that. Let's talk about the thing that we usually do on these holiday episodes, which is just sort of looking back on the, the year and you know, just picking some of our favorite movies or TV shows or music uh, or, or comics or anything like that, just to highlight. Not necessarily what you think is the best, but maybe something that uh really stood out to you, something you think deserves a little more attention, uh, something you really liked. Uh, so I, I did ask you two to sort of think of three things that you wanted to share. Yeah. Uh, yeah. H- Hazel, would you like to, to, to go Wait, first? Wait, I and... had to go first. Make, make uh, Bell go, go first. Bell can go first. <laughs> Bell, uh, why don't you go? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think the first thing that I wanted to talk about this year, which I think many people will probably put on their top three media experiences for the year, um, is the Barbie movie because mm-hmm. we all saw it. It was the cultural phenomenon of the summer. Um, it was kind of like, let's make feminism pop culture again kind of thing. Um, but for me, I really liked it for a couple of reasons. I liked it because I got to see it with my mom. I usually, oh. She usually doesn't go to movies. Um, but I, the first time I saw it, I felt like the, the core message that I was taking away from it was like at the end of the movie with, uh, Barbie's creator um, and Barbie had this conversation about like um, be, I guess mothers stand still and so daughters can look or turn around and see how far they've come and I was like crying and <laughs> <laughs> I need to bring my mom to see this movie <laughs> I, I really love my mom and I feel like uh, I could not have had the opportunities that I've had in my life without her um, of course because my mom she gave birth to me but other things too like i feel very fortunate to have her as my mom so i brought her to the movie and i wanted to tell her that because through the movie i'm like oh this message in the movie i felt like really resonated with me (laughs) and she thought that that's so sweet sweet. yeah oh yeah (laughs) um so so that was i there was i had problems with the barry movie in a lot of ways too because i felt like some of the writing had been dropped in some places i think i talked to you about this jesse in the car how i felt like the 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 crux of the movie that happens is because Barbie um, has a sense of like uh, she has a sense of like self realization. She's like, oh, I have cellulite. I have depression um, because she's being illustrated or controlled or played with by the millennial mother. Mm-hmm. But I felt those emotions were that she was experiencing were much more like a. 13 year old kind of like or 12 year old real like opening their eyes and sort of yeah yeah developing a sense of shame and a sense of self-consciousness because they're no longer a child and they're growing up and i feel like that might have been in the original draft somewhere because the the tween character is like she's more central to the story like in in terms of where she was put in the story than how she actually ends up playing into the story because she's kind of just like a side character almost in the end um, and I think that they could they could have done more with that. But yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of a, a yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a misdirect, but yeah. yeah, it does it does kind of feel like there was like a, a kind of a shift in focus that that maybe there was something else to explore. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I've talked to like a was... bunch of people, and most people agree that it seems like stuff was rewritten in the movie. And, mm-hmm. uh, like stuff was left over from the original version and still kept in the movie, but then, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> All movies are like that, really. Like, yeah. The time. 
It's like the problems that we had with the story were probably from because they were from an old version or rewrites or to make it more palatable or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was Ken's journey is what what stood out to me the most in in the film. Of course, <laughs> it was the most but, fun part. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He gets all the best songs. He does. Oh yeah, yeah. The the yeah. Sam Smith song was like the my favorite song of the summer. Was so <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Barbie yeah, so movie was, CD. That was the Barbie is... movie. Oh yeah, the Barbie movie CD. Perfect, perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so that was that was one. A uh, two is technically it's a YouTube video that came out in. Uh, the, actually last year, but I'm including it for this because uh, it came out near the end of last year, and I really, really like this video. It is Defunct Lands, the history of, or the, who made, who made the Disney Channel theme by Defunct Land. It's this documentary, basically, about this uh, guy who is trying to figure out the four-note mnemonic in the Disney Channel theme. You know, in those title bumpers that happen between television shows yeah they'll pop up with the channel have the channel title and then they'll have like um a little sound to indicate like this is the channel you're watching it's just part of the branding and the disney channel had this heyday in the 2000s where um it was one of the most popular channels on tv basically and millions of children in the united states because we didn't get this channel in canada millions of children in the united states watched this channel and they heard this four note mnemonic that was indicating the disney channel but nobody knows who wrote it um and they know who wrote right like wrote the other mnemonics for the other channels and but for, for some reason this one was kind of like a mystery and it's because it's associated with disney right like you don't really know who writes for disney because a lot of the creative process is kind of shrouded but this video is like this deep dive into figuring out who made it and in the process you kind of he interviews all these people who are involved in this creative um artistry behind making these title cards that occur these bumpers these like mm -hmm. coming up with the storylines and the bumpers coming up with the art for the bumpers coming up with like the music and it was it's just this like, beautiful journey very very intense deep dive into like a very specific niche thing but i it was like as yeah. a creator it kind of gives this identity to something yeah um that you wouldn't otherwise appreciate and maybe i'll i'll spoil it for you but it ends up being an obituary to the, the person who originally made the sound and it makes me cry every time <laughs> like, this this the four notes in this um, mnemonic are what this person is best known for but they were a classically trained musician who all their colleagues were in awe of and you get to hear this person's story it's beautiful yeah <laughs> yeah I, I haven't watched that one yet i know defunct land usually their their videos are usually like 30 to 40 minutes uh but this was like this looks like they went incredibly in depth uh, into into something that would normally just seem trivial, or people might not think about, or or something that, you know, from in Canada we wouldn't have even heard most of the time because mm -hmm. I don't think I, I don't think they used that jingle on like Family Channel at the time or in the no the, no or, or when they, yeah 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 none of uh, us are emotionally invested in this before the topic yeah exactly but then yeah, the way yeah. that it's told you do get into it um and it's definitely something to say about like just creativity being like integrated into like capitalism and just put 
like nothing no identity on that and there's just so many so much stuff that we like encounter like on a daily basis like you don't know who made most of that stuff um so it's interesting to like go into like a just a small thing and give it some some history have you ever watched any of the knickknacks videos on youtube which kind of go through the history of nickelodeon it's fascinating because it goes through it, it, it's the history of Nickelodeon, but it's using that more as a, um, like a backbone or a pretense for going incredibly into depth into all these things that intersected with Nickelodeon um, over the years. Like it actually talks about the history of how cable television started and how they were testing it in Columbus, Ohio, and how the original idea of it was like so radically different from what it wound up being. And then because it and it goes into like public television in Canada because they because um. Uh, you can't do that on television was so important on it. Uh, so it just, just the way it weaves intersects through all these different things. And you can just, just get so many deep dives going through this one premise. It's a, they, they do some great yeah. videos on that, on that series. I recommend it. I, I enjoy watching deep dives while I'm working. Cause then yeah. I can just listen to it and you can kind of glance over at it while you're yeah, because I have like two screens. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not something you want to give your full attention necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> for the for the defunct land video, it's more like a documentary. So it might need your full attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so that was my second one, the defunct land uh, history. And the third one is um, the TikTok genre of uh, medical foster kittens. So... <laughs> I don't know how much you know about TikTok, Jesse, but over the course of 2023, there have been several medical foster kittens on TikTok that have grown into little superstars. Um, there was uh, Tater Tot, who was best known for having these uh, two like casts on his feet. Cause and he just, they're these tiny little things and they're just like, they have so much heart and they, their, their, uh, foster parents will record them doing their silly things and going to their vet appointments and stuff. And you're cheering them on because you really want them to get better. Uh, there was Birdie who had this autoimmune disease, I think that ended up being the, a diagnosed with the first like case of that in a cat ever. And then there's Wisp. So Birdie and Tater Tot both unfortunately passed away. And Wisp um, is still alive, and I love Wisp. And every day, Wisp's mom uploads videos of Wisp. Wisp is this tiny, tiny little Persian kitten who always has food on her face because she eats with her face fully. She has no snout. She just eats with her face fully in the dish. She always has poop on her butt because she has a colon (laughs) problem. She is a mess. And she's just this, this... I every day you go on to TikTok and you see what the update is with Wisp and you're following Wisp and she's just getting bigger throughout the year. She goes to her vet appointments, you're cheering her on and all these videos, the the views are, they get a ton of views on them and the views all help because these medical fosters are people who are like living generally very simple lives. They're not wealthy or anything. So watching these videos and the popularity definitely helps and they make merchandise and stuff to help fund their their little rescues and things like that. So I love 
I loved this phenomenon in 2023. I want to see more of it. I want to see more of this, like, positive interaction of seeing a cute kitten and also the people taking care of the kitten can make money so they can pay for these expensive surgeries and stuff. Yeah. I will just be sitting innocently on the couch and Belle will, she will just show me videos of these sad, extremely sad kittens and I'm like, no, please don't show me. It makes me sad. Like. Uh, but I, I think I find it more sad than you find it sad. <laughs> you find it uplifting and I find it sad. But now that Wisp has been alive for a couple months now and is not yet passed away, um, I am willing to watch the, the Wisp videos. <laughs> I've, I've become like endeared somehow towards the videos yeah, I know, <laughs> Belle, I think you showed me uh, some Wisp videos out of out of context. <laughs> uh, but it seems that if you're, if you're, if you're, you've, it's part of a greater experience uh, if you're in the co- in the actual uh, ritual of following TikTok and seeing the updates every day and understanding like the bigger picture uh, and and just engaging with it directly through uh, through through the medium as you're as you're intended to. I think it seems a little odd out of context. I will I will say, but if you're if you're, that you're that's the context. Being, Inviting us over for uh, a nice Halloween-themed brunch and then me shoving a dirty cat in your face. (laughs) (laughs) But that's... Look at this. That's what I have to do. That's what I endure every day. I'm not saying that that's not how TikTok is supposed to work. Uh, But (laughs) I I think maybe there there is a better way. Yeah, TikToks are very curated for the person that's, like, receiving them. Uh, in that way so (laughs) that's why i only get the cat videos from you (laughs) well hazel why don't you share uh some of your your favorite things from 2023 um i wish that i watched more shows this year or like read more things so my list is kind of short and my life was taken over by one specific thing but i'll save that for the last um and uh so the first one i guess is like tears of the kingdom by uh nintendo (laughs) by nintendo (laughs) (laughs) tears of the king legend of zelda tears of the kingdom um i am a big zelda fan so of course i was gonna be there like on release day playing tears of the kingdom but i was unfortunately very busy and couldn't i forgot what i was doing but I, I couldn't play it until like a month after like all the hype. So I kind of like ignored all the hype and it was fun, but it was sort of like, I mean, this is, it's still in my top three, but I didn't actually play that many things this year. So I guess this is, yeah, I think it's just my love of Zelda. Uh, Tears of the Kingdom was basically just a Breath of the Wild DLC like expensive Breath of the Wild yeah. DLC, well, it, in my opinion. More expensive than the original game. But it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it uses the original, the same engine and everything. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. really feel like its own game. Like it doesn't have an identity on its own. It's very much connected to the first game. Um, it's, it's really fun to play. Like when you're playing it, you're having a good time. Um, but I felt like it didn't really leave a lasting impression on me. like as I stopped playing it and like pretty much every Zelda game I'll get to the end and then I won't finish it because I don't want it to be over and then I'll just like flag around and then and then it's like oh I didn't play the ending again (laughs) so I still haven't played the ending but it was 
yeah, fun to play. I would still put it in my top. I feel like I'm being critical because I like it, you know? Mm. Yeah. I uh, I actually, I did, I finished the main game of Breath of the Wild. I uh, I started on the DLC, but when I started to realize the, the scope of things you had to do to unlock that motorcycle, I was just like, ah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not. For the, <laughs> the, like, hundred trials or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I bought that too, and then I gave up because I'm, like, not that intense of a gamer. It was also interesting coming back to Breath of the Wild because we did play, I did play it, like, so many years ago, I think on the Wii U when it came out. And then Tears of the Kingdom's coming out on the Switch, and so much has happened between those two things. And one of them was the game that I played many know um genshin impact came out um during that time right, right. <laughs> and genshin is a uh, kind of a shameless ripoff of breath of the wild especially like i feel like from the base of the game i think that it's grown into like a lot like its own game but the base of genshin impact is very like it's very based in breath of the wild like the treasure boxes but you can feel i played genshin for about a year or two and but the the feeling of the game is completely different between Genshin and Breath of the Wild or like Tears of the Kingdom. Like the relaxation that you get from a Zelda game, or from Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom versus Genshin, even though they're kind of similar, is like Genshin's constantly giving you like the dopamine hit of like opening of exploration and like opening the the treasure boxes, the treasure boxes that they stole from <laughs> Breath of the Wild. Um, Versus, like, Breath of the Wild is more about, like, exploration and just, like, discovering things. You're happy just to get, like, a Korok seed, that sort of thing. So I did appreciate that, coming back to that and just, like, experiencing that world again. I'm looking forward to whatever they come up with next. So I guess kind of in a similar vein to, like, Tears of the Kingdom, I played this year's Mario Kart DLC, so yeah. Oh yes, Kart, the Vancouver with the Vancouver course. With the Vancouver map, like yeah. I, I'm here to bring up Vancouver things. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I just like looked back and I was like, okay, the first Mario, this version of Mario Kart, Mario Kart Eight, first came out in 2014 on the Wii U, and I bought it on the Wii U, and I remember all of us playing, like all of our friends were playing, and doing the online and doing like I'm using tilt controls and stuff like that, and. That was that was a good time. Um, so our house loves Mario Kart, so of course we had to buy the new Mario Kart um, map DLC maps that came out this year. Were released in like was it four waves? I, f I find it amazing how Mar like Mario Kart Eight was so perfect that they've been able to just essentially just roll with it for a decade now. <laughs> it really is the most yeah. perfect Mario Kart game. This is the end of it. <laughs> And I, yeah, I it's did. It's the end of like the end of the our... end of history. The end of history is Mario Kart Eight. Everything else is just a, a mirage after that. I feel like our city yeah. has been elevated now that it's in Mario Kart that you can drive <laughs> around. Like you can drive next to that Olympic torch. The Olympics, man, they made an impression. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah, I I enjoy the new maps that they added. Um, I don't really like the tour maps. I know Vancouver is one of those tour maps, but uh, we'll allow it. <laughs> But yeah, Mario Kart 8 expansion packs have been keeping us, uh, accompanying us throughout the year. So that was fun. I will say the LA map is nothing like LA. Nothing <laughs> does not capture yeah, the experience of being stuck in a traffic jam, going between 
one of multiple cities and avoiding you're the right. downtown area. <laughs> it should be yeah. one of those highway maps. Yeah. One of the ones where you're dodging cars everywhere. Like, but like, except of like having huge gaps between the cars, there's just no gaps between the cars. Every time I go to LA, I feel like my life is threatened, being threatened of my own accord. <laughs> okay, so I'll go to my last one. Um, so in in February this year, we were bored, Belle and I, and we were like, hey, let's watch this idol uh, produce show <laughs> um, called Boys Planet. We were bored and we had seen clips on like TikTok and it looked fun. So we're like, okay. Let's start this show. And the, the episodes are like three hours each, so it's pretty long to get into. You should explain what a produce, it's a reality. What, a, what is a produce show? Okay, Jesse, do you know, do you know anything about produce? Do you what know anything, do you know what produce is? Uh, okay. It's, so you, my, okay, so my assumption so far is that you're yes, talking about fruits and, fruits and vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> That's what okay, I think you're, you're right. talking about right now. No. Do you, okay. Do you give a rundown? Yeah, I, I've just been speaking for the last, like, ten minutes, and so my voice is kind of... Yes, you you give a summary of what it is. <laughs> okay, so uh, it's it's a reality television show um, based in Korea around K-pop, where they get a hundred contestants onto the show, and you get to vote for what contestant that you like, and you get to see the television show, see them act, sing, dance, whatever, and then at the end of the show... They take the top contestants and they make them into a group, and they become. So you're voting the entire time, so you yeah. as a viewer are like heavily involved. So you get you essentially feel like you picked the people who join right. this group. Okay. So it's like a back and forth between the audience and like the creators of the show. So they take the amount of contestants they have. They started this. I, I didn't actually. It's been a while. It's been like ten years. Maybe not full 10 years, but it's been a... They've run a bunch of them. They ran the first couple of series. They were called Produce 101, and then they got in trouble with rigging. So <laughs> a lot of the... Instead of being properly voted in, the some of the people were rigged in, like, by the producers. So the, the producers of this show went to jail because of this <laughs> and had to pay a okay. bunch of money because they rigged the idol groups. Um, so then they're like a couple years ago, they're like, we've come clean. We're making a new series. It's called like the planet series. And so they came out with girls planet, which I didn't watch, but it wasn't very popular because most people were like uh, tired. They were like, oh, you screwed us over before. We're not going to watch your new show. But this year, um, they came out with boys planet. And so they have 99 boys <laughs> compete for, uh, nine member group um and we are voting for it it's kind of like you're voting every week and it's kind of like you versus the producer so the producer will give you a lot of like clips of people that they want to be in the group and then or they'll give you bad clips of people they don't want to be in the group so you're kind of like making this decision like are they showing me something that's honest or or not but in the end, you do get, like, endeared towards certain people that are, like, on the show, and you want them to succeed and vote for them. So, um, wait, Belle, can you, can you um, add to okay, this? So, okay, so basically, <laughs> the, the, I, I'm understanding here now. So the reason why we started watching this show was because um, there was a BL actor who was in it. Um, <laughs> yes, this is, this is the reason. Okay. And yes. 
It was actually Shokugeki. A, a, Kore- a Korean Korean BL a Kore- drama? A Korean BL drama, right. yeah. Right, okay. And uh, so he was in the show, but the show actually kind of, like, put a focus on it. They're like, this is a BL actor, everybody. Like, they weren't shying away from it at all. He's done other stuff, too, but they specifically were trying to target, like, that that image of her Fujoshi audience. Or something. <laughs> and the contestants were also, like... You watch the show and you kind of realize the show was really queer because the contestants that they were trying to promote the most, the contestant they that they was the center of the show who was like the top contestant specialized in whacking, which is a a form it's like a type of ballroom dance. Like that was his number one specialty that he showed off. Um, there were there was a judge who specialized in whacking as well. Like, and the amount of times on the show where you kind of just got this idea of like that these, there was a bunch of queer kids just having a really good time and supporting each other, and hmm. you felt like you were, like, having fun with them. The show wasn't trying to make it look like, oh, look at these, like, weird gay kids. They're, like, you were, you were like, part of their pack. You were running around with them. You were having fun. Like, the, the it was a really charming experience that I didn't expect at all when we started watching it. Well, we had an idea about the, the BL actor because he, we saw him in there, but, like... Yeah. The, beyond that, the show was, like... Whoa! This is this is really sweet. It's also so. suffering too. It's there's a lot these, of suffering are, going on. You have these <laughs> kids that you end up getting really attached to who end up like not succeeding, who have to drop out, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> there's nothing for them anymore. Like you, you feel really bad for them, even though you know they're so talented. Yeah, and also like one of the guys that it's trying to like lead you through the show with in the first episode is from Vancouver, so. He's, like, you, like, immediately have that, like, hometown, like, guy that's in there. And he does make it into the group. And... Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, who, who, so, is this, who is this guy from Vancouver? Uh, Soap Matthew. Where, where, where can people find this show? I think it's on Vicky. V- Vicky, all right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They have a lot of Korean TV. Yeah, that's, that's the number one destination for, for Asian dramas and, yeah. and reality shows so, and stuff now yeah so after watching boys planet um they came out with a group that's called zero base one and a bunch of other groups have kind of like grown off of this too so if you weren't happy with like what happened in the show you can follow the groups with the other contestants that didn't make it because they're like making music now too so it's sort of like this thing that just sprung off in like so many different directions that you can just follow as like this extended universe of like k-pop <laughs> <laughs> anyway right. that was yeah that kind of like took over a lot of our like spring and stuff like that watching that show and voting <laughs> i could see something of that uh magnitude taking over your life for a little while yeah makes sense yeah definitely it did <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah we're okay we're going a little long so i have a few items i wanted to share uh, so I'll just go through them quickly. For, first off is actually just an honorable mention. I didn't do one of these episodes last year. I just still wanted to highlight something from 2022. So it's a Canadian film called I Like Movies. Uh, it's directed by Chandler Levac, uh, and it's set in the early 2000s, and it captures the early 2000s in, uh, in Burlington, Ontario, or in Canada in general, uh, quite well. Uh, because like any movie set in the early 2000s, it really highlights how much that time period sucks. And um, <laughs> and it, it it captures that well. It's the story of a uh, 17-year-old cinephile. He's played by um, a guy named Isaiah Lettinen. 
Uh, and he, he lives in Burlington, Ontario, and he has aspirations of attending film school uh, at NYU. And he believes that he can earn the money he needs to do this by working part-time at a video store uh, while attending high school. But uh, this guy has no talent or skills whatsoever. He's a complete dreamer. He thinks that being a person who loves cinema and loves watching Goodfellas over and over again qualifies him to become a great filmmaker and just sort of embrace this dream. Uh, but the film kind of follows him as he slowly realizes that he is actually not capable of doing these things. He is actually not um, not a, a talented or skilled person, a person who is capable of uh, achieving a lofty goal like that. Uh, and at the same time, he's watching his friends uh, who are actually achieving greater success by working hard and working towards less ambitious goals. And as a result of that, uh, moving up and, and moving on to greater things and discovering uh, where they, they, they can go in life and what they can really accomplish. Uh, so, of course, when he realizes that this is happening with, uh, with his friends, he tries to sabotage them and, and bring them down to his level, as you do when you're this type of person. Um, the movie, I think, really captures a certain kind of mentality or a certain kind of, uh, even if you're not you know, a, 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 this type of malicious person or a person who is capable of doing this kind of malicious, these kind of malicious things. I think it really captures just a realization that a person might have in their life that they're actually not, they're not necessarily capable of doing the things they dream of uh, and that things may, that their dreams are actually out of their reach. They let that sort of obscure things they could do in life uh, or things that they, smaller things they could do to, grow as a person. Uh, I actually saw this at VIF in 2022, uh, and the, the director and the, the star were there, and it was interesting, Asaya uh, Lethanen was wearing a Serial uh, Experiments Lane t-shirt. Uh, he's, he's apparently a big anime fan. Uh, and he described the movie perfectly. He, he said that it is basically Lady Bird for incels. Uh, and I think that's <laughs> the perfect way of describing this movie. If, you, if you've seen Lady Bird. I have um, not. Yeah, I highly Lady Bird is an excellent movie, and I highly recommend it. It also captures how much the early 2000s sucks <laughs> really, really well. Um, I, I recommend both of those movies. I like movies. It is on Netflix in Canada. So it's very accessible. Highly recommended. I really hope they put a Blu-ray out for it so I can own a physical copy of it. Uh, they have not done that because we are living in a, a terrifying era where some movies actually don't get released on home video anymore. Uh, but it is on Netflix, so if you have Netflix, you can see it there. I, I recommend it a lot. Um, so going on for stuff for... 2023. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk about was a movie I saw earlier in the year, uh, universally loved and praised by everyone who saw it. It's called Skinnamarink, uh, directed by Kyle Edward Ball. He's a guy who specializes in making uh, short films that replicate nightmares in really inventive and creepy ways. Uh, and he had done a few shorter YouTube videos uh, that take, take a very... Um, kind of analog approach to replicating the feeling of being in a nightmare and he made a uh slightly longer sort of sort of proof of concept film a while ago and I, th I think that this movie was crowdfunded if i remember correctly and it actually leaked online early which was really unfortunate so a lot of people wound up seeing it before it actually got released in theaters uh but that did not kill the hype this movie was hyped up a lot as being you know a really terrifying sensory experience uh, and a lot of people hated it. <laughs> a lot of people thought that 
um, the movie was just really boring because so so much of it is he went back to like his childhood home in Alberta and he got permission from the people who live there to actually film it. So he he's really honing his own experience of being a small child living in a big house uh, when it's when it's empty and full of just on its own, just full of um, of of weird mysteries and. You know, it just kind of captures that idea of not not even really understanding everything that's in your home as a child or the idea that some kind of monster could form out of nothing. Um, but he he takes that idea and tells the story from a perspective of, of a little kid who hit his head in the beginning and his parents disappear. And suddenly the house seems to get slowly enveloped by this weird static monster. <laughs> And uh, it it's, uses all kind of creepy tricks. I found it was very effective. If you see the trailer, it really captures a kind of 1970s PSA filmmaking kind of kind of approach uh, that really puts you into a pre-digital world. The movie's actually set in the early 90s, but I, I think it would really it really resonates most with people sort of more our age who still remember a pre-digital era. Mm-hmm. I would be curious to know what younger people think of the movie if they if they've actually grown up in a digital era. I wonder if if it would click to them or click with them, or if just just the general mystery and it might just be the child that children probably all probably experience yeah. a similar fear of their house, regardless of it being like what era it is. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I mean, this it... is the first real description I've heard of Skin and Marink <laughs> because usually people are. They're not like they're usually just say saying how much happens. they ha- yeah usually <laughs> they just say how much they hated it and yeah. and and how stupid it was the, the movie yeah. spends like the first twenty minutes just sort of messing around with weird camera angles in a house uh, and th- I that is it is kind of off putting I'll I'll admit that but I mean that's to acclimatize your you to the way the film is shot as things get increasingly um, strange and unknowable and 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 um, bizarre as it goes right. on and in the movie at the end it really sucks you in and it really just just sort of uh sort of gets to you in a way that i probably should have expected and i didn't it was just the the way it plays with static and uh and and lighting and everything it's just is absolutely horrifying it's a horrifying sensory experience you absolutely should not take any kind of edible or drug before seeing this movie, that would be a huge mistake because <laughs> you will have a very bad time. Um, and also, I, I saw it like at, in, at the Rio in in, uh, in a theater filled with people, and that is the best way to see it. it you can see it on Shutter. I don't know if watching it um, in your own home is as good because you can turn it off and escape and turn the lights back on <laughs> when you're watching it. Whereas when you're in the theater, you you're you're trapped. You can't escape its grasp uh and i think that 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 experiencing it that way was was the best way to do it maybe it's still okay on streaming i don't know but i uh if you are ever able to see this movie in theaters i recommend it uh i i do recommend checking it out like i said it's not not for everyone lots of people didn't like this movie but uh i liked it a lot it it really got to me um i'm yeah it seems that uh that you two never saw this one no no we don't usually watch horror um we're not like big horror genre fans. I like stuff that like has like maybe it's like sci-fi, but it has like an element of horror in it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not like a full horror. Yeah, I can't 
literally tell you what the narrative of this movie was because it kind of doesn't have one, but that kind of goes That's hand okay. in hand. That's okay. I feel like repl- I got a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it goes in hand in hand with the idea of replicating a nightmare. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, that doesn't seem like a really bold thing for a movie to do, but it takes a really novel approach to it, I found. Uh, and again, static is terrifying. It really is. So much static in this movie. <laughs> Um, so the other two items I have are a little predictable. Uh, one was the Venture Brothers movie, The Venture Brothers Radiant is the Blood of the Baboon Heart. Uh, I don't recommend this if you haven't watched all seven seasons of Venture Brothers, and even if you have, uh, you might want to go back and rewatch the whole thing, because, um, I, I did. I rewatched all of Venture Brothers, and I'm glad I did. It's a, it's such a great show. It's better, even better the second time you see it, because there's so much you'll miss, uh, so much I completely forgot about. It's just like a very short 88-minute movie, the equivalent of four episodes. Uh, but it is an ending to the Venture Brothers saga at last. It kind of leaves the door open a little bit. But if you re- listen to the, like, the audio commentary and stuff, they make it very clear that they very much approach this as an ending. It answers the biggest questions that have been lingering throughout that series, throughout its, its 20-year history. It actually was supposed to be a season 8, but unfortunately the show got cancelled. Uh, amidst all of the corporate chaos at Warner Brothers Discovery over the last few years. Uh, but luckily they were able to to cut a deal and get a movie made so they could give everything uh, an ending. It brings in uh, some new elements uh, and it wraps up most most of the the dangling threads. There's still a couple things left over, but they're not they're not really that important. I don't really care personally. I, I, I was very satisfied with this movie. It actually surpassed my expectations. Some people were saying that it's a little, it, the wheels spin a little bit on it, or it doesn't really give a, a satisfying ending. I, I disagree with that sentiment entirely. I thought I thought it was a a roller coaster. Uh, you get a little bit of everything that makes Venture Brothers great. Uh, Venture Brothers has been an astonishing project over the last twenty years. And if you see this, I highly recommend buying the Blu-ray because uh, it has act like they you get a full platter, uh, which is very rare with home video these days. It's got special features. It's got uh, it's got two audio commentary tracks. You really get a get a full enhanced experience with uh, with with the disc. Unfortunately, they just gave it a regular Blu-ray release. Whereas uh, with the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie that they also did, that that one got like a lavish special edition 4K Ultra HD release. But uh, Venture Brothers, no, just regular regular HD is enough for Venture Brothers apparently. Uh, I know a lot of people fell off of Venture Brothers at, like, season four or five or whenever Teletoon stopped running it, which which is unfortunate. But, uh, you know, it, it it's great. I think I think it really holds up. Uh, it, it it chronicles, uh, you know, the, the 20 years it, it's, it spans uh, pretty well. But it's, um, but you, you, you can really go back and, and, and feel, uh, it feels timeless in a lot of ways right from the beginning. So, yeah, Venture Brothers, good stuff. And the last one I wanted to highlight is a the other visual novel I played this year, uh, which is The Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, it is a, it's a really fun, free visual novel. Apparently it was basically just kind of thrown together by the Sonic marketing team for as an April Fool's joke. Uh, and it's only like a little over an hour long. Uh, but it's a lot of fun uh, as everything that's put together that's put together by Sonic fans. Uh, all the characters are very, in character, they're most fun. Um, it's a uh, engaging little mystery with uh, with with a pretty satisfying ending. Art's really good. It's got some some little platforming sections that uh, are 
difficult, but uh, not too frustrating. And you can you can adjust the difficulty on it. Um, and again, it's great. It's it's completely free. I recommend trying it out, even if uh, even if you're not that familiar with Sonic. Uh, the, the char- I just looked it up. Yeah. Because I haven't. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. Oh, that's okay. Because I haven't okay. looked at it before. But yeah, I I haven't. I'm surprised it looks so good for something that's an April Fool's joke. It oh looks yeah, like they a full oh, game. It's like it's a high I effort. Guess that's the money April Fool's joke behind yeah. Sonic. I should ask my friend who likes Sonic and visual novels if they've read the, if they've played this. If your friend likes Sonic and visual novels, I hope yeah. they have, and I'm sure they would enjoy it. I don't um, think they have played this. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's re- it's it's really great. A lot of fun. Again, even if you if you don't know anything about Sonic, uh, everything is is really uh, well introduced. The characters are well defined. You know who everyone is, what their deal is, uh, how they how they'd interact and and fit into this story. So, and also I, I'll honorable mention the new Sonic game, Sonic Superstars. Uh, I know it's got a little bit of a mixed reaction, but I uh, I really greatly enjoy it. Uh, it's a new 2D game that they put out. It has a co-op element that is, that part of the game is garbage, uh, but if you just ignore that and just, just play through the main game, it's uh, a lot of fun. Definitely a must-play for, for anyone who's a Sonic fan. Um, I think, uh, I know there was Sonic Mania a few years ago, but that one is, it is, I guess, technically a better game. But it's mostly a remix. This one's all original levels from beginning to end. And Sonic's creator, Naoto Oshima, uh, has come back and he he supervised this game. And his uh, you really feel his influence. Not not the guy who's in jail. Not Yuji Naka. The other creator of Sonic. Uh, he, he came back for this. And yeah, it's really good. Especially if you like Sonic CD. I think it, it builds a lot on, on that one. Um and yeah, that's uh, that's all I've got. The Venture Brothers movie. It's nice hearing about like a cartoon getting a proper ending like that. How would they yeah. wrap everything up? Because that doesn't always happen. I mean, I don't think they really wanted to end Venture Brothers. The they it's it really feels like they they wanted to do like tell this story until they died, <laughs> the uh, with um Do- Doc and Jackson, and it it does um I think they had ideas to just keep the go- the show going indefinitely and just. You know, there's always little breadcrumbs that they can build off of in future seasons. Like back in at the end of season five, most of the pl- most of the story elements were wrapped up there, but they still continued the story. And uh, arguably, like in season six and seven, I think it's that was the strongest the show had ever been. It was only getting better, um, and it's disappointing that it's that it's going to end. But you know, I, I think getting a a, a like very solid strong satisfying ending is is worth it overall worth that compromise so uh yeah venture brothers is great always has been (laughs) (laughs) yeah i haven't watched it like you said probably for years but um yeah it might be interesting getting back into it (laughs) yeah it's not easily streaming anywhere unfortunately in in canada but they, they put a dvd set out of like all the all the all seven seasons but the most of the seasons were done in hd and they're not putting another Blu-ray out. Like the only the only way you can watch them like un, uncensored and uh, in the highest quality is if you bought those releases as they came out, which is is frustrating. Uh, but at least I have those sets, so <laughs> I'm I'm good. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up uh, for this special holiday episode. So where can uh, people find you online if they want to uh, follow you on social media or? keep up to date with your projects so we're on yeah we're on twitter or x 
<laughs> and we are also on webtoon tapas electricbonescomic.com alwaysreigninghere.com we're on patreon um you can read all of our comics for free but then if you like what you read or you want to support us yeah we have the patreon and there's other stuff on the patreon like extra stories extra comics and like a discord that we talk to people and then yeah um bell you have something <laughs> I, I think that's it <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having us jesse no problem for this holiday what? special and letting us share our all of our stuff about our projects what were your twitter handles um i'm the raspberry hazel and she's bell has a bat okay uh and yeah thanks for tuning in to zun in canada you can reach me on blue sky i'm at jbetteridge.bsky.social uh i am Still on Twitter, you can follow me at jbetteridge there, but I'm trying not to use Twitter because it's horrible. Uh, so if um, you can, if you can yeah, follow, we're me also on Blue Sky. I think, oh, okay. With the yeah. same names. Okay, yeah, yeah well, you can you can find find you two there. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. fo fo follow me there if you can. Uh, you can also email me zonancanada at gmail.com. Uh, our theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found on his album Packet Flood, and you can find that at ultraclystron.com. Uh, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and I'll see you again. <laughs>